This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Man in the Mirror with Brett Klemmer and his team. Here's audio content from Man in the Mirror and their track called No Man Left Behind. Well, guys, it's great to join you today. We're here to talk about the No Man Left Behind process that involves three aspects, the process, the content, and the relationships. But as the uh, subtitle to the workshop states, before content and relationships, we must have a process in place. So we're excited to talk to you about this. Thanks for showing an interest. We look forward to making this interactive. So feel free to ask questions along the way, and we can learn from each other. And I'm glad to have you guys with us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share with these guys today. And we pray, Father, for their desired takeaways that can be accomplished, that you would allow some kingdom networking, ministry equipping, and even iron sharpening to take place. A lot of times what happens in the hallways, already having met a few of these guys from the previous session, was beneficial to me. So we're excited about that whole scenario. We thank you, Father, for men's discipleship, how it's impacted us over the years. And I pray today that we can share some thoughts and concepts that might be beneficial to these guys in their journey. In your name we pray. And all the men of God said. So I have some key principles I'd like to share with you. But the way I'd like to... uh, work through a particular topic is to start, first of all, with your desired takeaways. I'm not looking for everybody to give me some feedback, but therefore I can tailor some of these principles to what you need to walk back with in your various parts of the country. For some of you guys just joining us, I like to get a a collection of states that are represented. So we've got Tennessee, Ohio, Michigan, Alabama, Iowa, North Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky. Any other states from some of you guys just joined us? Wisconsin, okay, good. All right, gives us a little geographical uh, background. So, some desired takeaways, you know, it could just be four or five of you. Well, what are you looking for? What, what brings you here today? We want to make sure we address those. So, fire away. So, these are some common things that we uh, hear across the country. My name is Jeff Kasaya. I'm the National Field Director for Man in the Mirror. Brett Klemmer was supposed to lead this session. He's the president of our ministry, but he was the speaker they talked about in the first session. They had to fly home to Orlando. So we're going to pinch hit for him today. I'm doing two workshops tomorrow on the same track. So we've got four key concepts that the No Men Left Behind model uh, will espouse, and we'll break those down for you. So this first session is really just an overview that we share around the country. Uh, at the uh, resource tables out there, you'll find the actual book, No Men Left Behind, that uh, Pat Morley, the founder of our ministry, a lot of folks know of Pat and his classic book, The Man in the Mirror. A lot of folks don't know there's a ministry uh, also that's been in existence for many years. So that's been a signature book to help men grow in their faith. And then over time, the ministry began to transition to focus on discipling the leaders of men and training the leaders of men so they can be more effective in that process. So the book is out there. And then this is the, uh, the manual we have at a full weekend conference. So we're going to share with you four of the key concepts uh, there are 12 to 15 we talk about on a given weekend if a person comes. We'll be in, uh, we were in Akron, Ohio uh, just last weekend and coming up in Jacksonville, Florida, Boston, Massachusetts, and then also in uh, Redding, California. So that whole weekend of training 
gives you the full-length version of what's going to take place. You have a couple of handouts. The black brochure kind of introduces you to our ministry if you're not aware of who we are. Uh, we come across as partners and not vendors. We're not here to sell you anything. The only thing we're trying to do is just to you know, share a process with you. And then the two handouts will talk specifically about this first session today, which give you an overview of the No Man Left Behind model, and you'll be writing in some of these uh, blanks along the way. You can also go to our website, nomanleftbehind.org, and uh, see a 10-minute overview of our president sharing this uh, procedure. And then also, there's a handout that takes you through these five types of men that these chairs represent. And so uh, you'll have those two items available as we start in this whole situation. So as we would define discipleship, that's individually a person who is called, who is equipped, and then they're being sent out. So that's what we're looking at as far as the end game as we see the New Testament uh, sharing that. From a leadership team perspective, that uh, so what we're going to be focusing in on, you know, assuming you guys are involved in some leadership capacity one-on-one or in a group environment, that it involves three concepts, process, content, and relationships. So we're already talking about, hey, we want to move beyond a program to a process that will be life-on-life oriented. So we're all talking the same language here in that regard. So life-on-life then involves some level of resource, you know, uh, but it also has got to be tied to the process. And what typically takes place is if a process is not in place first, then these things here can be short-lived. If I'm an effective disciple maker, but I get transferred to my job to Kalamazoo, Michigan, what happens to the discipleship culture in my congregation? But if I'm tied into a process, then I'm also investing in the lives of others who can come in and and carry that on. It does involve good resources. We have a holy hardware store. There's There's tons of resources here at the conference, but it's not limited to that only. When all three of these work in harmony, then you see things happen across the board. And so we're a ministry that's very research-based. We like to observe uh, and to see what's taking place. We want to gain some insights uh, even this weekend and uh, to uh, gather some greater clarity for what we're striving for in our ministry situation. This was the original forerunner to some of the things we're going to talk about today, the Men's Ministry Action Plan. I was uh, a men's pastor for 28 years, and I went to the stadium events of the 1990s. I was in St. Petersburg, Florida for the very first stadium event that I attended with over 50,000 men. But I'm sitting there all weekend long thinking, how are we supposed to sustain this for the next 51 weeks of the year? So the difference between us and those who do catalytic events, we, we believe in those. You know, we're just not in the process of putting those out on the front burner. Because that is a key aspect to the process to go create value. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But now how do you capture the momentum from that event that takes place, whether it's 50,000 men or 50 at your weekend retreat that you have annually for the men of your church. The average congregation is not giving men a right next step as they come back home uh, from those retreat weekends, nor do they give right next steps back in the stadium events. This past week was the 19th anniversary of 1.4 million of us gathering in Washington, D.C. for Stand in the Gap. Any Stand in the Gap brethren here today? Bingo. What, what a high water mark. Tremendous. But over time, you see, because we haven't rekindled that flame, then a lot of times things, because there's not a process in place locally to see that sustained, we have the challenge. So when I first met Man in the Mirror, they were the first ones that began to talk about sustainability. And so this Men's Ministry Action Plan was a forerunner to what is now known as the uh, No Man Left Behind series. So we're just going to walk you through this model. It gives us a grasp of some of these uh, key aspects 
And like I said, our website gives you a lot more information, and specifically uh, Brett Clemmer, who was uh, set to lead this uh, seminar. He's got a nice 10-minute overview with some really good graphics, and you can find that on our general website, manofthemirror.org, or go specifically to the No Man Left Behind website. .org and find that to take place. So let's walk you through this particular handout and give you a feel for that uh, momentarily. And so you can have that accessible and be ready to, to fill it in. But why are we here? The question was asked, give us a historical context. Why are men being left behind? And we talk about that when you come to our full-length training. It described that in full detail. So let's talk about the culture itself. We just finished a session that a few of you guys came to, had a chance to uh, give us some feedback and uh, talk further about this aspect. There were 127 million men at the age of 15 or above, according to the most recent census statistics in America. 77 of those million men do not profess faith in Jesus Christ. There are 73,000, excuse me, 73 million children living uh, in a home under the age of 18. Tonight, 27% of them will go to bed in a home without a father. 40% of first marriages will end in divorce, affecting over a million children per year. I've got a granddaughter that affected when my son-in-law decided to walk away after two years of marriage and a new baby arrives on the scene. He was more interested in going back and working on his classic cars. Mustangs became more important than Madison. So we've lived that out on our front. 40% of all children are born out of wedlock. That's the statistics for the culture. That's not news to you. You're aware of that. But here's what's important for you to grasp. What happens then in the church walls? In the average church for every 10 men in America, here's what our statistics bear out. Nine will have kids who will leave the church. Some of the best guys that I've discipled as a men's pastor, uh, his kids have gone out to NC State and Chapel Hill, and they have just really, really broken down the foundations of their faith. And so those are the things that are happening. Nine will have uh, kids who will leave the church, nine out of ten men. Eight of those ten men will not find their job satisfying. One of the books that I gave out the most often uh, over my years as a men's pastor is trying to keep your head up when your job's got you down. So job satisfaction is a struggle for a lot of guys. So eight out of ten. Six out of ten will pay the monthly minimum on their credit cards. That's why friends of ours like Dave Ramsey you know, uh, draws great crowds wherever he goes because people have some financial issues. Five will have a major problem with pornography. Uh, the other five are uh, lying about what issues they'll be facing in that regard. Uh, four will eventually get divorced out of those ten men in the average church. Only one man out of ten will have a biblical worldview. Only one. And then all ten will struggle to balance work and family. So how do we get there? This is what's happening in the culture, all these negative statistics. Here's what's happening in the average church. And because of the absence of discipleship, only one out of 18 men, when you combine both categories together, okay, men in the culture, men in the congregations, one out of 18 understand and are engaged in some level of discipleship. So we've got Major League Baseball playoffs taking place. And so we've got one out of 18 guys. The umpires meet together at home plate and have a chance to go over the ground rules. Can you imagine the other 17 guys having no clue? Well, what, what's right field? You know, what's shortstop? You know, uh, I'm just here to, you know, be involved in this uh, athletic activity. Well, we don't expect that to happen. Those guys should have, a, have an awareness of what takes place. That's what's taking place in the life of an average church. So to get the world right, we all strive to see that take place. We need to get the church right. But to get the church right, we've got to get families right. A lot of 
friends of ours in uh, family ministry, and we believe in those guys. We come alongside with them. But we believe you've got to take it to the next level. To get families right, you've got to get marriages right. A lot of kingdom friends focused on marriages. As I've had a chance to be a men's pastor, marital harmony, parenting wisdom, and the father's wound. Those are the three key issues I would hear more often in one-on-one context with guys. I had a Barnabas luncheon tour, taking guys out to break some bread, get a chance to hear what's going on in their, their lives. I'd ask three questions as we're sitting there. And over the meal, we'll talk about current events and sporting activities or hobbies and things like that. But then we'd have a chance to really uh, go d- deep with a guy. And the three questions I would typically ask, how are things at home? How are things at work? How are things in your walk? They would drive the train based upon which of those venues they want to be able to get some insight from. And so more often than not, we would talk about home, marital harmony would be there. So we need to get marriages right. But to get marriages right, we've got to get the men right. So at Man in the Mirror, we see all those hinge pins together. When men get it right, as one of our model churches up in Noblesville, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis says this, when men get it right, everybody wins. Well, who's in the upline? Men impact marriages, marriages impact families, families impact the church, and the church impacts the world. So how do we get here? That's exactly how we got here. And so we've got to have a revolution to come back and see, wow, we have not been intentional in reaching and discipling our men. So your system is going to be perfectly designed to produce the results that you're getting. And if for the average church across America, from the uh, ten men in a cross-section of your congregation... That's going to vary from place to place. Your church may be healthier and your numbers may be off differently. But when you compile all that research together, that's what happens for the average uh, 10 men in the congregation that we see. Well, let's get on the offense, however, and I'll begin to talk about this process that will help to foster a disciple-making culture, one of the takeaways desired today, and also move us out of programs. I was with the denominational leader a few months ago, and he said, Coach K, can you help our guys understand what do you see, first of all, as I've traveled over 40 sta- or traveled to 40 states and talked to over 600 churches? Well, what do you see in our denomination? I said, Chris, your guys need to move from uh, product to process. I'm hearing, you know, what's the next thing coming out, you know, of the denominational headquarters that I can use? You know, we've used this series, we've used that curriculum. What, what, what's the next product? I'm going to go back and plug and play. That's the easy way out for a leader. You see, when he gets the next you know, a hot product out there, let's just go use that. And it could be in a co-ed environment as well, not strictly uh, men only. But we've got to move beyond product to process. Products come and go. Their curriculum is needed. But uh, it's crucial to understand that process is there. Well, let's walk you through this model and give you a chance to see what are some of the key components that we've found across America. You see, as we observe churches and their attempts to reach and disciple men, there were some things that they were doing that were very effective. We've worked with over 30,000 churches now. And there were some uh, key ingredients we found across the board. It didn't matter what geography. It didn't matter what denomination. They had a heartfelt uh, desire to reach and disciple their men effectively. And so these were the concepts that we found. There are three foundations that you'll find at the bottom of the model. And the first level is called the portal priority. Everything you're trying to achieve starts with building disciples. So the portal priority is discipleship. That's the organizing principle. Tomorrow at one of the workshops, we'll do a drill down on that and let you know what that is uh, all about even further. 
So is your church utilizing that as the portal priority? The second foundation, the second level that you see at the bottom of the sheet is the man code. The man code is your environment. Are you creating an atmosphere within your church that says men are welcome here? Are men valued here? I like what one church has to say. Uh, they say this, you can belong before you believe. Is that the type of congregation that you represent? Will you allow spiritually disconnected men to come in and feel a comfort zone initially? Do they run into a bunch of holy Joes? Or do they run into a bunch of regular Joes that they can identify with and want to help them grow in their faith? And so man code is crucial. What is the atmosphere within your church that says men are welcome and valued here? And then the third level of that foundation, working our way up from the bottom to the top, is the three strands of leadership. You'll need to have three components of leadership in place to effectively build disciples. And that's going to be the enthusiastic involvement of a senior pastor or pastoral staff, a passionate leader with acknowledged responsibility for men's discipleship in the church, and then thirdly, a committed leadership team. So pastoral staff, key leader, leadership team. When one or two of those components are missing, then the process is going to be held up. Now, we can dive into some consultations with you individually to say, hey, my pastor's on board, but we can't find men who are even growing themselves, much less be willing to lead other men, you know? So we find that uh, to be a common scenario. Or we've got a leadership team in place, but it seems like the pastoral staff and the elders don't want to buy into the intentionality aspect of that. And uh, that's an issue you face. So uh, we're pro-local church. We're pro-staff. We want to make sure they buy into this vision and get a grasp of what's going on. So sometimes you've got to wait your turn. They're spinning a lot of plates or some things on the horizon you might not be aware of. And so it's crucial to go in and not try to just say, hey, let's just uh, wipe the table clean. I've come back from this conference. We're going to become intentional reaching and discipling our men. You want to be respectful of that staff and to know exactly what God is leading and calling them to do as it represents your particular church government and how it gets communicated out to the congregation. But all three strands need to be working in harmony. A lot of churches will have a key leader, but not a leadership team. When that key leader gets transferred to Kalamazoo, Michigan, what happens to the effective disciple-making process? It goes away with that key leader. So we can't base it around an event. We can't base it around a key leader. We've got to have all three of those components. So those are the foundations, and we'll talk about those in detail tomorrow if you come to a workshop on that process. Well, as we work our, our way to the uh, top of the model, you see now on either end, we use this conveyor belt, well, uh, by the way, for a man code aspect. Uh, we want to make sure that the guys can see uh, what that looks like as far as uh, moving forward. Then uh, once we have the foundation in place, then the hub of this cycle that you see drawn out with those arrows around it, inside of that circle is the word vision. Vision, we recognize that men want to give their lives to something bigger than themselves. And so what is a phrase or slogan that can be an elevator speech that guys can respond to? And so we want to try to achieve and communicate that in a very compelling way. And so that's crucial to cast that vision. In our church in Charlotte, where I was a men's pastor, we were attempting to develop people in the followers of Jesus Christ. So I just use that as a subgroup. Hey, we're trying to develop men into followers of Jesus Christ. So if the church vision was to develop people, let's develop the men. So it shows we're in concert with that aspect. Vision has to be cast for that to be understood. And then you see this engine that uh, works itself around of that process, and that's a threefold aspect. The very last workshop I'll lead tomorrow will be specific on this. It's called a ministry cycle, create value, 
capture momentum and sustain change, or for short, create, capture, and sustain. All three of those components have to be working in harmony. Create is based upon where men are spiritually, having desire to uh, recognize there's different opportunities. We'll call those own ramps. So how do we create value with men? Most of the churches that I travel and visit with of these 600, a lot of churches are creating value. I guarantee you most all of your churches today are doing that. But very few churches are capturing the momentum and even fewer are sustaining change in the lives of their men. So what that ministry cycle looks like, we'll unpack that further tomorrow. Today, just kind of an appetizer with the model itself. So create capture momentum, that circular uh, uh, wheel that helps drive that conveyor belt as the process continues is understandable for each of us. Now, when we think about create, capture, sustain, we'll go into some details. That's what the second sheet that you have today that shows uh, some various aspects. What do you have right now that's creating value as it involves the five types of men that we'll get into momentarily as you get a chance to see that. Across the top of the model is going to be the all-inclusive ministry to men. We want to retire the phrase men's ministry. Very few churches, you know, uh, uh, understand the difference between a men's ministry and a ministry to men. You see, in the old days, we would come back home from the stadium events, we'd come back from our weekend retreats, and we would gather men in silos. It was not integrated. It was not uh, overlapping with other ministry settings. We want to leverage every interaction that a church has with a man in their congregation. So that's why it's got to be all-inclusive. It'll involve men's only gatherings, but it's like a church in Omaha, Nebraska, 6,000 people. What can man in the mirror bring to the table? All we have are co-ed gatherings. Hey, we'll be glad to come and help train a point man in each of those small group, community group, life group, whatever you want to call them, so they can be strategic and involved in some of these concepts so no man will be left behind between those clusters of 12 to 14 to 16. And in the average congregation, there's usually a woman that's attending, a wife, whose husband is spiritually disconnected. So that's a great way to reach that guy right in that particular setting. So it's an all-inclusive mindset as we have a chance to uh, you know, carry our way through. And then we see across the board the dotted line at the top represents what's called the wide to deep continuum. So I have these chairs at the front of the room to help you understand this a little bit better. This becomes a visual teaching tool. So on the wide end, this is going to be men who are spiritually you know, disinterested. Spiritually disconnected. Over here on the deep end of this continuum are the guys who are very committed and they're very involved. Okay? So wide to deep. And then this is broken down into five components based upon these types of men. So let's look at these types of men and give you an overview of these specific groups. So the first type of man is called the natural man. In the New Testament, he's described as a man who does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, according to the book of Corinthians. They're foolishness unto him. And so that's the natural man in category one. The second type of man is going to be the cultural Christian. Our founder was such a type of individual. He had professed faith in Jesus Christ for ten years, but he used to say, I live by the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Pat, as in Pat Morley. And so the cultural Christian loves this life more than the next. And so he finds himself in that second category. The third type of man is now the biblical Christian. 
All of a sudden, he begins to reprioritize his life. He begins begins to take steps towards obedience. He's now showing up in some of your discipleship venues. He's the biblical Christian. The fourth type of man is the servant leader. The servant leader is taking it to another level. He's beginning to show and make progress and uh, indicating an interest to go much further in his faith. And then there's a fifth type of man, though there's only four chairs, because the fifth type of man is a subgroup of one of the four previous categories. And the fifth type of man is the hurting man. He could be a hurting man who's an unbeliever. He could be a hurting man who's a cultural Christian. He could be a hurting man that's a biblical Christian or a hurting man who's also a servant leader. And I'll give you some examples on those momentarily. Now, each of these five types of men are known by their life focus. The natural man, his life focus is on himself. Therefore, it's me. He is totally focused inwardly on himself. The life focus of me. The cultural Christian, he has a life focus of me and God. The biblical Christian, because he's reprioritizing life, he has a life focus of God and me. All of a sudden, now God gets on the front burner. The servant leader, his life focus is God and others. He is connected to Jesus Christ in a vertical fashion as he tries to worship and honor God with his life. But now he's looking to his fellow man. He's looking to his community. He's striving to make connections. And so he has a God and others life focus. You see what's missing in his life? We've gone from me, me and God, God and me, to God and others. Me gets completely uh, out of the picture. And so there's a, there's a focus there that the scriptures talk about quite often in this whole particular process when we look at this particular individual, the servant leader. The hurting man, what is his life focus? His life focus is where is God? If he's over here in category one and uh, he has, uh, maybe he's facing the hurricane that's coming through the southeastern United States. Hey, where's God in all this? He typically wants to blame God for all those kinds of things. It could be the cultural Christian. He loses his job and it's in his identity. A guy will uh, exchange a, a business card. A business card tells me what you do, not who you are. But these fellows right here wrap their identity in their work. And they're proud to talk to people about their Fortune 500 companies. So he may lose his job and ask the question, where is God? The biblical Christian may have a prodigal teenager who runs away from home. And though he's striving to follow Christ, he realizes, wow, you know, this is kind of a gut punch. Where did this come from? And he's asking the question, where is God? The servant leader, as he gets to a situation where he also may go through the season of suffering that we all will go through at various stages in our life. And I found this with a pastor up in Pennsylvania uh, last year when I was spending time with him. And I said, Pastor, what's something that's uh, going on in your personal world that I can prayerfully support you on? And he said, my daughter just walked away from the sacred vow. She's abandoned ship in the marriage. And it's just broken my heart as her father having married, officiated the ceremony, brought her up to appreciate the sacred vow, and now she's walked away from the marriage. And she did eventually get a divorce. So there's a servant leader in pastoral ministry, but he's a hurting man. So that's, that's why the hurting man is found in all of these previous categories along the way. So that's an overview of the No Man Left Behind model with some of the key concepts. There obviously is... Uh, much more to this that we can give you in details. Uh, I'd love for you to again visit the nomanleftbehind.org that will give you a, a higher view of that. And you can see exactly, again, 
in this whole situation. What it means to create, capture, sustain, how to reach all five types of men. The average church is only reaching two of the five types, by the way. It varies from church to church, depending on what your emphasis is. Churches that are really strong with outreach may be doing a pretty decent job with, with uh, categories one and two. The churches that are stronger in their um, uh, teaching and, and uh, using the written word may be stronger with categories three and four. And so uh, they need to be more outreach conscious. So where's a balance in this whole process so we can reach all five types of men? That is crucial uh, for us to grasp at along the way. Any questions? That's a quick run through. Again, that's just kind of a high level. We're going to break down some of the key concepts as we move forward. But this specifically addresses the whole aspect of process as we look at this moving forward. If your particular church has a process in place, it may be similar to this. There are other models that are out there, quote-unquote. So we're not asking you to get totally uh, loyal to ours. But that's what we've observed in key churches around the country as far as their capacity uh, to participate. The second sheet that you have now gives us a chance to flesh some of these things out. And it takes this uh, wide to deep continuum, and you see the guys that are listed across the board. And then we have some activities. We also have a synopsis on how many men uh, are connected uh, to your church in that fashion. And so I want you to take some time, and uh, we're going to give some feedback uh, from what's happening in your neck of the woods, what the percentage level and on a basic average you would find. And then give me one activity. What, what does it look like? If I come to your church this weekend, what, what will I find? Or if I go to your website and investigate that, what, what do you have going on? For a guy over here, his wife's connected. Maybe his kids went to vacation Bible school. Maybe the students go to the, the student ministry. What, what's in this for me? What, what can I find an on-ramp, in other words? Same thing for this guy. Hey, yeah, my wife goes to the discipleship group for the couples. Uh, she goes alone because she has very various uh, ladies in the church she's connected with. But where do I find an on-ramp in this whole process? Uh, obviously, it's about the whole scenario here. So let's take a couple minutes and fill that out. And then we'll come back and give you a chance to give us some feedback so we can collectively learn from each other. Okay? Try to find just one activity. And uh, at the very top as well, when it says names and initials, think about one name. Here's a Joe. Here's a Ralph. Here's a Fred. Then you can kind of categorize. You look at your congregation. Let's get to know your players. As you fill out your sheet, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you for some uh, volunteers to give us some feedback on this. One of the evaluations we're trying to make is what is already happening in your church that you could leverage and what could be happening in your church that you need to launch. That's the leverage versus launch principle. When we fill out, and we have several audits that we do in the, some of the sessions tomorrow. We'll do a leadership team audit. We'll do a ministry audit, which is an expansion of what this is all about. We'll do a man code audit tomorrow as well. What are some key components that your church needs to have in mind, specifically for the guys in those lower categories on the wide end who have very limited interests in spiritual matters? This campus, for example... Uh, it's pretty inviting, you know. I enjoyed seeing the uh, basketball courts out there. That was uh, appealing to me, you know, being involved in athletics. If I were a spiritually disconnected man, that would be an example of the man code that we would see. Everywhere you travel around here, you see these uh, discipleship pathways. They're wanting you to get involved. You know, they're, they're inviting us into the process. That's another example of casting a vision. Well, those guys don't grasp that yet, but at least give them a C. Uh, there's an end game in mind that we uh, uh, want to look for. Again, we did not create this model. This was just from observations and research with thousands of churches all across America, uh, those that have found effectiveness in reaching and discipling all five types of these men. What are the, some things they have in common? And all these particular subpoints are the ones that we have discovered that are crucial. There will be some nuances. There will be certain things representing the church culture that you find in your own life. 
But it's got to start with the portal priority, your first foundation. It's got to involve uh, man code. That's your environment. It's got to involve the three strands of leadership, which is uh, crucial to see that take place, all of them working uh, together in harmony. And then obviously vision to be cast so that men can grasp uh, what is going to be taking place that God wants them to do uh, great for his kingdom. And then on the create side, give a man what he needs in the context of what he wants as we personally invite men to engage at various levels. And then the capturing of momentum are some believable follow-up opportunities. What can take place from a timeline standpoint? We found that six weeks, there are a lot of curriculum out there that want you to make a commitment for two to three years. That's okay for the guys over in the deep end. They'll be willing to make that commitment. But very seldom will you find guys making that long-range commitment. And so you've got to be uh, thinking in those terms as you look to uh, try to capture the momentum. They may come to your one event, but if it's not going to be four to six weeks follow-up, oftentimes they'll fall off. Now, they should have a desire to continue to go forward, but that's just not where we are. It takes a long time to make a male disciple. And then again, to see long-term change, that's going to take place in relationships. So to the point that you made earlier, you know, that's where sustainability takes place. We really move beyond, you know, when guys gather on a Sunday, you know, and there's this large army of men, and as we talk about the battle for men's souls, and then we've got the uh, band of brothers that small groups would be meeting, you know, 12 to 15 guys maybe, or even in a co-ed environment. There's still a band of brothers mindset. But I've got to find a couple of fox old friends uh, to, do, to do life with. I can share life with a larger group, but I can only do life with a smaller group. So that relationship is crucial uh, to play out the sustainability. And again, just to see that it's not about just when men are off by themselves, where ministry can happen. Ministry to men can take place with all the other three subgroups. We're looking for guys to go mentor uh, students who don't have a father figure. We're looking for guys to go assist in the vacation Bible school uh, realm. We're looking for guys to uh, maybe go serve the women's Christmas dinner to have a chance to participate in that fashion. And obviously in a couple setting as well. It's not just gender only, though there's obviously a crucial aspect of that. And so this process to reach a man where they are spiritually. Some groups try to reach people according to ages. We would submit to you, you should reach a person at the stage of their spiritual process. Okay? So when we talk about these five types of men, there's actually five types of women as well. This is a complete overlap. A lot of churches use this in that particular context. We have female uh, uh, natural women. We have female cultural Christians. We have female biblical Christians. We have female servant leaders. We have females who are women in suffering. And so it's a direct overlap to see that take place along the way. So the all-inclusive is crucial for us to reach and right where they are to make all of that an intentional part of your process. So cast a net wide in the early stages and then seamlessly move them from place to place. And it's digital. You know, it's not just one step to go from one to the other. Uh, sometimes a guy will take two or three steps forward and then he'll take a few steps backward. That's just a natural process because of what he finds in life. But that we engage and develop fully of these five types of men, uh, that's a crucial aspect. So let's hear some feedback from you guys. Uh, what's happening over here for the natural men in your congregation? What's going on? Maybe just take this fall, for example. Some of you have a fall festival. It's an outreach to the community. Maybe that's an example. Let's give two or three examples for each type. Who, who's got some things for this first type of man? Now, typically, where I see that taking place, they come onto your campus and involve their kids, and you found that successful to make a connection with them there. Okay? Another example? Okay? So you find guys who are spiritually disconnected will come into that arena, find some help, and then realize there's beyond uh, what they're trying to deal with it themselves. Okay? Okay? Good. 
So we're looking for next steps. I'm, we'll come back to you for that example. We'll have some uh, chances to talk about that further. What are you doing for the cultural Christian? What about the guy just kind of hits that time clock on Sunday? What, what do you see happening in your church? Give me some examples for those guys. All churches do content. There's tons of good curriculum and materials out there. So, again, that's not what our focus is here today. You should be aware of those and put the tools in your toolbox. We always want to respect your church culture. We want to respect where you are geographically. You know, Even looking at these states right here, as I've traveled to 40 different states, I've been in all of those. There are some unique factors in each of those. And I was in Maine last week. You know, when I go to Maine, when I go to Montana, I was in Alaska this summer. There's that whole northern belt there, the outdoorsmen, you know, were big-time hunters. A lot of those guys, like in Montana, we were doing a conference for 600 men. There were 599 pickup trucks that the guys drove there. You know, that's more the frontier. And uh, so there's some distinctives about those uh, situations. So, so all churches do content, a lot of good materials out there. And oftentimes relationships are beginning to happen. You know, we've got some classes, we've got some groups that take place. But what we, what we don't do well is process. You've got to grasp the importance of that whole process. And so in doing this uh, overview of this model, like I said, the next three workshops are to break down various segments of this particular model, you know, to find out exactly where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses. And even from a standpoint of, like I said, the average church is reaching two types of men effectively. They may be longing to reach the other three types, but for whatever reason, that's not happening quite yet. We'll talk about the leadership team tomorrow. One of the common mistakes that I find with the leadership teams is that oftentimes we have a bunch of guys over here that like, like to lead Bible studies. So therefore, we're very strong in reaching guys on the deep end. But I don't find a guy who understands what outreach looks like in the context of relationships as well as finding some right next steps. How do you build a bridge to that spiritually disconnected dad and to have a chance to do that? I was uh, doing a consultation in a church in the southeast a few weeks ago. And so I was traveling to another state in the southeast. So I just swung by the church that I was going to speak at the following weekend at the front of the trip. And I just dropped into the church unannounced, unexpected. And they had a video up there playing, you know, uh, hey, come to our men's rally next week. Coach K will be here. I want to experience that occasion through the mind of a spiritually disconnected man. Every time I visit a church, I like to do that. And so I went and sat on the very end of the uh, aisle in a worship center away from everybody. Sixteen men walked by me, and not one came by and shook my hand and welcomed me. Now, a woman would not let that happen. You know, uh, there would be a connection made. But we guys, we tend to live in our own little worlds, you know. And I always sit up there on an island to myself so I can be seen. And it typically happens most everywhere I go, is that obviously women are desired to be relational. But these guys, this, this fellow's looking, can I belong before I believe? And so when those guys showed up the next Saturday, you know, 75 guys, and I told them the story. I said, hey, last week I came to the 930 service and 16 of you walked by me. Now let me ask you a question. You think I'm coming back? I'm coming to your retreat? Uh, when that's, that's the situation that happens. Now the, the pastor engaged extremely well. The, the church had a good man code. You know, there were a lot of, lot of things here that were taking place that were attractive to me. But I tell you what I would do, if I were in that situation, I would dial up the podcast because the pastor did appeal to me personally, the way he shared his, his message and the way he communicated. You know, that was really, really good man code stuff. And so I would just listen to his podcast, but I wouldn't go to the retreat. 
I wouldn't go to the study. Why? Because I couldn't belong. You know, I wasn't being accepted. It was on the outside looking in. And so we have to help our guys grasp what that looks like. Now, fellows don't want to be just, you know, swarmed over, you know, with unnatural responses. So while there may be official greeters, you know, on a given campus, everybody, every guy should see himself as an unofficial greeter and be on the lookout for a new guy that's going to be there. And if Denny walks in our congregation, hey, Denny, welcome, man. Are you new to Harvest or new to Charlotte or both? So you're new to Charlotte. Tell me where you came from originally. Indiana. Indiana. Hey, man, i got a great buddy up there in Noblesville and Westville, Indianapolis area. Uh, whereabouts in Indiana are you from? Uh, Evansville. Evansville. I've heard about the uh, the Aces, I believe, that play there at Evansville College. Yeah, that's great. So uh, obviously, you know, you're in uh, Charlotte now, and there's two things that we have in common, and that's racing and that's hoops. We got NASCAR, you got IndyCar, but we both love our college basketball. Well, listen, man, it's just great to have you here today. Enjoy your time. Hey, there's a, a welcome center table out in the lobby. It has a lot of stuff going for men. So uh, no obligation, but dive into that. Here's a handout for you. Love you to see what's coming up on the horizon, and then uh, let us know if we can assist you further. See, 30 to 45 seconds, I've greeted him. I found out he's from Indiana. Then during the service, I'm going to go find my five Hoosiers, and they're going to be lined up outside the door. You know, not, again, over the top or swarming him, but we're going to be intentional so he doesn't leave that day without engaging with somebody. And we're offering him the relationship. Now, it's going to be on his watch whether or not he wants to pursue that. Now, if he's from Pittsburgh, one of my guys has a Pittsburgh Steeler man cave. And he's going to get invited uh, that day to come over and, and enjoy the game. So, not everybody, you know, some guys want to kick the tire, so you want to respect that. not saying... Again, you got to gauge that appropriately. But we don't want to have the situation where 16 men walk by me, and I'm not having any kind of engagement like that. It ought to be to that extent, but just a, just a greeting. It would be great. And we told those fellows, they had a registration table outside trying to invite guys to the rally. I'm just going to walk by that table. I don't want to go by officially and think about what's going on with that retreat. I, a man's going to respond to a personal invitation. That's one of the things we found in research. So the relationship starts with just an informal greeting, you know, and uh, go where Jesus would go, be what Jesus would be. And so an occasion like that, that's a, a key aspect for uh, our process. Other thoughts, comments, questions as it relates to the five types and particularly this uh, project here. <clears throat> How many of your churches have leadership teams? Okay. How many of you have just single leaders you desire to have a leadership team? Okay. Several of you. So that, that is a crucial aspect. We'll talk about that in one of our later workshops, you know, how to, how to build a leadership team and what role they can play in this whole process. What I've found in my travels is that if you can find a point man for each of these groups, that's going to be a healthy, balanced approach. That's my answer to why the average church is only reaching two of the five types. If we're all over here in our holy huddles, drilling down with these guys and going deep, which we believe in that, but to the extent of these guys are being left behind, how do we get here? See, part of that's on us as the church. The reason we got there to see men left behind, there's all these statistics from the culture, and then within the walls of the church, of only one out of 18 men. Now, we're not talking about the congregation. We're talking about community and congregation together. Again, the, the congregation is a subculture of the main culture. So one out of 18, I don't want this guy to come in and be left behind with 16 guys walking by him on a given service. They need to be on a mission to be seeking out opportunities and to be engaged fully uh, across the board to see that take place. So 
that's a, a model overview. Like I said, we're going to take uh, the sessions tomorrow and, and do some drill down on some of these concepts. But maybe you have some questions that we today, maybe you're going to another workshop tomorrow, you'd like to have an answer on some of these matters uh, about these components that we gave you, the portal priority, the man code, the three strands of leadership, vision, how to create, capture, sustain. We can give you some Cliff Notes version even today on how this process plays out. Who has a question you'd like to have answered? Okay, sure. So the portal priority is to make sure that men know that you're not trying to fix their behavior, but that everything you do is to help them grow as authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Timothy 2.2. So it is a organizing principle. We'll show you a graphic tomorrow that shows all the activities in the standard church, and sometimes it's an undifferentiated blob, and we just sling mud against the wall. But if the priority is to uh, make a disciple, then even from a standpoint of are we making donors or are we making disciples? Churches have stewardship campaigns. They have fundraising banquets. You know, they're trying to cast vision. But really what you end up with is a donor. You don't end up with a disciple. If we end up with a disciple, if portal priority drives that train, then it's going to be a natural outflow. Hey, as I'm focused on God and others, then God owns my checkbook. God owns my uh, uh, time allotments. And so that's got to be the organizing principle that carries us uh, to a place so that men know that's the aspect. Again, a lot of behavioral modification going on out there. We want to see heart transformation. And so that's the entry point. That's going to be the connecting rod to all that. Another question. Yeah, so when we met with them the uh, following Saturday uh, to do their men's rally, and I told them the story. Again, I was under the radar. I didn't tell them I was coming to do that. I told the leadership team later, I said, hey, uh, don't blow my whistle. I'm coming in today to see what's going on. So when we met with the rally, I told those guys that story. Well, interestingly, there were three guys that came to the, uh, it was a fall kickoff, that uh, had faced similar circumstances. One guy said he'd been there uh, for an entire year, and nobody had reached out to him. So he was going to give them one last opportunity to come to that, that fall kickoff and hopefully find connections. He happened to be wearing a Nebraska shirt. So I like to go around when I speak somewhere and kind of get to interact with people. If we had time here today, I would find out, okay, give me your hobby or interest. In fact, let's, I'll just demonstrate this. This might be a way to answer the question. So give me a hobby or an interest. Just one, one word. Basketball. Okay. You need to get to know my son-in-law and you can bring him along further. Okay. Golf. All right, where's my, we've got two runners here, so we need to connect them. Okay, two exercise guys. Okay, good. Okay, IT. So we've got a little film and TV. Maybe that's something in the same vein there. How about you, Marty? Okay, some IT stuff. Okay, hoops. Leather work, great. Okay. Okay, so we've got two fishermen. Okay, so if they're in the same congregation, in fact, I was at a place recently... And we did this in a room about this size. And I said, how long have you guys known one of those? They said, 10 years. They said, we go to the same men's study. I said, did you know he liked chess? Did you know he liked chess? Had no clue. So we got so ingrained with filling our heads with knowledge, we couldn't enjoy I'd say, go have a chess match and watch discipleship break out. Would be a way to, to, uh, to take advantage of that. Four more hobbies. Football. High school football. Okay. 
All right, so, see, we put the golfers together, the hunters together, the IT guys together. I had some fellows that liked remote control airplanes. And uh, we would survey our men uh, each year as a practical way to grasp that uh, because of the three common mistakes that I've observed in churches. Number one is the lack of intentionality. Number two is the lack of multiple entry points. And number three, we don't know our players. So there was an example of being passed by 16 men, you know, I walked into their locker room, and it wasn't being welcomed. So the next week, we raised the awareness level. What was interesting was the guy from Nebraska, I made a connection with him because I have friends. They obviously are very avid, avid college football fans out there, so I can relate to that with our team at Clemson. And so just by building a bridge with that guy, well, there was two of the guys in the congregation that were from Nebraska originally. That's why I asked you your states earlier. And so we got some common ground like that. And so whether it be a brief conversation to find out he's from Hoosierville or you like fishing or hunting, because the next Sunday if he came back, I'd say, hey, did you get a chance to meet a couple of those guys from uh, Hoosierland? I, I wasn't going to tell him there was five guys that went and tipped off during, during the service, you know. But he walks out to the uh, parking lot, and maybe two of the five got to him. Just in a natural, we, we, we trained them how to do that. So therefore, okay, now I've got some guys that can identify with who I am. They appreciate my heritage or they appreciate what I enjoy doing. Because, again, give a man what he needs in the context of what he wants. We'll talk about that specifically tomorrow. So that's crucial. So to train those guys up even in practical ways of how to be winsome, you know, how to be over the top. You know, well, I'm not part of the greeting team. That was on their watch. No, I'm expecting the greeters. In fact, when I go to a church like that for an evaluation, I never walk into the front doors where the greeters are. I just want to go in some side door entrance to kind of gauge what is it really like out there. And so that's what I had those guys to say, now listen, it's on your watch for the next man not to be left behind. That's how we got in this place, is to see when there's not the natural interaction we should have. So we've got to coach them up. Other questions? Yeah, there are some uh, key aspects of uh, biblical manhood, you know, is what we've phrased it. What, what does biblical manhood look like? I mean, you got authors like Gene Getz. He's taken the 20 qualities in Timothy and Titus, one of the best non-manly mirror studies I've ever led with guys. And to see those 20 essential qualities, because we've gone through a time period in our church where uh, we went through an elder nomination period and none of the guys were eligible. They were just honorable mention. And I said, how much of that is on our watch as a pastoral staff and leadership team? That these guys are being left behind. How do we get there? Hey, that's on our watch. We weren't intentional with them. So I desire to see every man become eligible to be an elder in the church, to meet those biblical qualities. So we use the measure of a man. You know, Again, that was our source of content. But there's got to be a process because when we go through that, that 20 session study, where do we go next? Because there's a fellow that wasn't here for that. If the process is in place, the cycle continues and those challenges will be uh, having a chance to come back. But again, the relationships will be crucial too to see that carry forward. So there are key components, but we help leadership teams do a gap analysis. You see, some of those things are already being, we want to spectre culture. We, we give out templates. Templates are things that you can hang, you know, more meat on the skeleton. And so basically this model is basically a template for men's discipleship that we've observed in, across the board, small, medium, large-sized churches, all geographies, various denominations, and to say, okay, if we can see effectiveness take place and there is a process to reach and disciple uh, all of your men, including these various aspects, that we can create, capture, sustain with what we're striving to accomplish have that all-inclusive nature to it, knowing that there's guys on the wide end, there's guys on the deep end. Let's have those three uh, foundational points, the priority, 
the uh, environment and then to see uh, those leadership areas of working hand in hand, then you yourself as a leadership team can kind of fill in some of those gaps. And that's a good thing to grapple with. If we gave out all the answers ahead of time, that makes it easy. It's like the church that says, hey, give me the next thing to go plug and play. What's the next lady? Give me six months worth of curriculum. I'm good to go. That's going to flame out over time. Well, the process has got to be there to find sustainability. Another question. Well, it's a both and. You know, there should be some desired outcomes that have a biblical substantiation. We do this one concept. Again, we're just kind of giving you a little 30,000-foot overview today of this model, uh, the drill-down aspect. That's why it takes a whole weekend to go through this. But we'll do a head, heart, and hands analysis. And to say, okay, in your church, you know, what are some things going on to reach a man's intellect, to reach a man's heart, to give him a chance to go out and serve? And uh, I went down to the Gulf Coast, speaking of hurricanes, and participated in Katrina relief. Well, a lot of guys jumped on board to go help out. You know, they'll give God their hands. Most guys will do that first. You go have a, a work party to build decks for the widows in, in your church. There'll be guys showing up. They, they're compelled to do something like that. So I was with a church recently, a thousand men, and there was uh, ten leaders on the leadership team. So one guy, that was what he was uh, burdened to do. Let's go get these service projects. You know, let's have a chance to change the oil for the single mom. Let's have a chance to rake the leaves for the elderly. And let's go build the decks for the handicapped. So he's organizing men to do that. So I ask a, a guy who's really focused on more of a, a Category 3 man, you know, where he's involved in Bible studies. Like I said, most leaders are found doing that. I said, what if you showed up one Saturday and uh, though you're not called to go and, you know, be involved in overseeing that ministry, but if you went and helped out your teammate, and at the end of the day, maybe she brought some Gatorade or some water bottles at the end of that project, you know, around 1130 before they, they uh, finish up and, and head home. So they're working, let's say, 830 to 1130. You as a leader could go over there, pass out those uh, uh, Gatorades or water bottles, say, man, this is fantastic, guys. Let's just dedicate this deck, you know, to Mrs. Smith. She's been coming for a long time, and now she's broken her hip, and so she's got to listen to the, the, the radio or watch it on television or what, be limited in her activities. And so let, let's just dedicate this as a means of uh, assisting her. Well, what that would happen, uh, what that would create would be an invitation. Hey, guys, now on Tuesday night, we're going to talk about taking some next steps. You've given God your hands today. You don't have to use this language, but that's a concept behind it. We'd love to see you go further. We're studying how God makes men. You know, God really wants our heart. And so this is great you've done this. So what I don't find is leaders willing to go out there and do that. And so we try to create that kind of a connectivity on the leadership team. So the guy building the decks and the guy hosting the Bible studies are working in harmony. So a guy makes process. Yes, or makes progress. Yes, he's connected to his relationship with Jesus. And that only hits well here. Yeah, it's the vertical side. But but there'll be guys on that wide end will go build the decks. And a lot of times, I personally have been called to reach the guys on the wide end. And so I'll ask leaders around the country, what's your greatest challenge in reaching some of these guys on the fringe? And one, uh, one leader told me in Pennsylvania, those men just don't get it. Well, I would submit to you we don't get those men. And let's find out. Just like, like that little sampling I just did right there. You see, we learned a lot about each of you in just a brief amount of time. And so as a men's pastor, I would know behind the scenes what your common ground might be so we could connect the dots and you guys could begin to see what this looks like over process. That's helping build a relationship, you know, based upon... Uh, the uh, common ground in addition to the content. So the, the process of the overarching theme helps carry that out. Good question.
Sure, exactly. He, he would go to the Gulf Coast. I took guys even from Category 1, you know. We, we took some natural men down with us on a mission trip. And uh, God blew their doors off. And they came back and started coming to some of our gatherings that began to show them the next steps in their journey. We had one mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. we got time for a couple more questions before we wrap it up today. When I speak at a men's rally or a men's retreat, there's going to be a worship leader there, I will say, let me see your song set to kind of get a gauge for what does the man code look like, you know. And let's, let's challenge the guys. You know, let's, let's, let's appeal to that masculinity. And, uh, you know, I could sing of your love forever. That was a real popular worship tune a few years ago. I could sing that to my wife. That doesn't compel me to the great almighty God of the universe. And so give me something that moves beyond what you're describing. So you see, that's part of the man code. We evaluate. What does it look like? Now, again, the church that I was with recently, though the 16 guys didn't walk by, the, the worship team had a good balance of male participation. And the tunes that they offered up, I was able to connect with God. Again, role-playing over here in this category. They, they gave me an awareness. I encountered His presence, which is how I would define worship. And then again, the pastor came out and delivered a message. He, he opened up with a uh, golfing illustration for you golfers. And he had uh, Nicholas Palmer. is very unique with Palmer just passing away. And um, a Gary Player, you know, at the Masters with the, uh, the tee-off that they have out there. And he was talking about the legacy factor. And how that, you know, uh, Nicholas and Palmer and Player have left such a legacy. So what is the legacy we're going to leave? What's the theme? He went into Nehemiah, building on the wall, and the legacy. So he made a great connection. It was a good man code illustration. Well, he came next Saturday, and I applauded him for that. I said, hey, if I were a spiritually disconnected man, you see, I would, that would, that would, he showed a little video. He just didn't tell the story. He showed a clip, you know, of Nicholas and these guys. And so there was an example of um, uh, amping up the man code. I think women respond to that favorably. They're longing for men to become spiritual leaders of the family. So even in aspects like that, uh, the man code is, it should be found throughout so that we can appeal. Well, too. Sure. I think we ought to be oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Other questions or comments? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your retreat as a case study. Give me the time frame. Bingo. So how far are we traveling on Friday to the site? Okay, so you're, you're trying to be sensitive about time. Is Saturday an option? Can I go coach my kids in soccer? Or I need to be there to participate? Yeah, okay. Well, you kind of addressed some of the things I would have mentioned. I actually started having some on-site uh, rallies. I call them men's summits. And so we did Friday nights, and we tripled our attendance versus going off-site to retreat. You can go deep off-site. You know, I'm going to go wide, but I, I'm called to the wide end, and I want to make sure that we're funneling guys in at entry point. You know, let them come and kick the tires, let them belong before they believe. And so that's that's crucial for the conveyor belt in my neck of the woods. It may not be what you would choose to do. But, yeah, 40 to 70% of the congregation are right here. I've spent my life reaching out to these guys. So the next couple of days we'll talk about some key concepts, and I'll share a couple of illustrations. But it takes a long time to make a male disciple. That's the first thing I would share. And to understand, let's unpack him as a man. I would, I would, uh, I would suggest get on their turf before you expect them to walk through your turnstile. You know, we have a lot of expectations. Again, those men just don't get it. They don't choose to participate. Well, I want to get on his turf. So all the things you just got finished sharing, you know, some of those are my common interests. You know, if they're not mine, I want to connect you with guys who do enjoy those activities. You know, and uh, hey, how was the how was the 10K run? 
uh, how, how was the golf outing? You know, uh, hey, did you uh, get that new 60-inch uh, uh, install for me for the uh, Clemson game against Boston College tomorrow night? We'll, we'll find some way to connect the dots like that. And I have found that relationships will develop pretty easily. Then guys can be funneled into a content that represents a process. And eventually it will take place. There's a guy today who's a church planter in Thailand that came in playing for the Queen City Brass Band in Charlotte. Met him outside, had the conversation that I had with Denny, and I found that he played in the Queen City Brass Band. We began to go and attend that, spend time with him, and then over the years we began to see God draw. After six months, he made a profession of faith in Christ, began to grow and develop. He eventually walked away from his life as a patent attorney and is now planting a church in Thailand. So I would leave that thought with you one man at a time, okay? It, it, it becomes overwhelming when there's this, this large percentage. And when that cultural Christian is being reached, I like to invite their input onto the leadership team because they're the best person to go back and reach the next guy that's like that. He knows what he thinks. He knows what he's involved in. He knows what his obstacles are. Some churches say, oh, I'd never let a guy be on the leadership team because he hasn't proven himself to be you know, further developed. He hasn't come down the conveyor belt. He hasn't been competent in all these areas. But uh, he, he, he's running with those guys. He's investing time with those guys. He's the closest person I've got to those individuals. And so to find out who those fellows are so we can uh, you know, allocate that would be crucial. Well, again, this is just a strictly an overview. Uh, process, content, relationships. In the next three sessions tomorrow, uh, we'll do a drill down on some of these things. So I hope that uh, maybe this will be beneficial to you. Visit our website, uh, maninthemirror.org and or nomanleftbehind.org, where you'll have a chance uh, to take advantage of some more of these things. Love to follow up with you. Uh, my uh, email address is coachk at maninthemirror.org. Be glad to uh, hear what's going on. I'll do some video consultations. I'd love to visit with you in uh, cyberspace and uh, set up a Google Plus Hangout or a Skype session. Get your leadership team together, and let's process some of these things. Hey, what does it look like when these things take place? We'll be there to serve you. Let's stand and close in prayer. God, thank you for these men who have attended here today. It's just really an honor and a privilege to invest time with them. And I ask you, God, to just give them the right next steps as leaders. The Lord, you'll just work in and through them. I thank you for the men they represent and the desire, Father, to see them grow in their faith. And I just ask you, Lord, that in each of their congregations, from Tennessee to Ohio to Michigan to Alabama to Iowa, North Carolina, Kansas and Missouri, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Virginia, there are men that need to be drawn to the fire. And that's only a work of God. But, Lord, once they're beginning to be drawn to the fire, they're ignited, as one of the speakers said earlier today, we can teach them how to rekindle the flame. And, Lord, we need a uh, process. We're going to need some content. We're going to need some relationships. So how do all three of those work in harmony with the process being crucial? Give us that capacity to see no men left behind. As we can uh, serve pastors, train leaders, and see you transform the lives of men, give us faithfulness in this whole aspect. I thank you for these men and for their uh, desire to be uh, following you holy and to represent you in such a manner. So we pray a prayer, prayer blessing over these guys and attempt to see you work in them so you can work through them. And all the men of God said, Hey, great to be with you today. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.